Um, well, I'm very pleased this morning to be kicking off a new this new series, this little series called Midwinter Midwifery. And I want to jump right in. I want to talk first about the concept of archetypes, okay? Uh, I get pretty jazzed about archetypes. You are probably familiar with some archetypal systems. The Enneagram, for instance, is an archetypal system. Um, Jung's archetypal psychology is another. Astrology is another. Tarot is another. The hero's journey, that's another archetypal system. And what these systems do for us is they help us create a, uh, cohesive stories about ourselves and about the world so that we can better understand our experiences and our roles. And so that we can be more present to what is happening in our lives. The point of any archetypal system, as I understand them at least, <clears throat> is to help us awaken to our own selves and to become conscious of the unconscious. And there are a lot of archetypes that, of course, religion uses to perceive and understand the divine. But so, so this is an imperfect metaphor, but imagine that I had a, a pair of sunglasses with yellow lenses. An archetype is kind of like a set of lenses through which we see the world. So if I put on these yellow lenses, I see the yellowness of the world. And if I put on a pair of pink lenses, I see the pinkness of the world. And Christians have quite a few archetypes that we've used over the course of millennia through which we learn to see God or the divine. One, for instance, that gets a lot of use in Christian circles is the father archetype. So we put on our father archetype lenses and we see God as protector, provider, and so forth. Um, another is the king archetype. So we put on our king lenses and we see God as ruler, boss, overlord, as being in control. Another is the healer or the great physician lens archetype and so forth. So most of the lenses that Christianity has ever worked with have been highly masculine archetypes which is all well and good. God encompasses all gender, and we absolutely need these divine masculine archetypes to help us see God and ourselves. The only trouble is, historically, we've been working with an incomplete set of lenses, and I would love for us today to add to our collection here. So if you've ever studied queer theology, you might have learned about some of the non-binary or gender fluid archetypes and ways that God both transcends and inhabits gender. Like we could preach a whole set of sermons about that. And then of course, we have a whole array of divine feminine archetypes through which we might become more aware of feminine aspects of the divine. And the one today that I want to offer you is the archetype of the midwife. So to begin, let me read to you about the valiant midwives in the scriptures, Shifra and Puah in the book of Exodus, who do midwifery with a side of civil disobedience. Here we are. I'm reading um, the inclusive. So Pharaoh spoke to the midwives of the Hebrews. One was Shifra, the other Puah, and said, when you assist the Hebrew women in childbirth and examine them on the Examine them on the birthing stool. If the baby's a boy, kill it. If it's a girl, let it live. But the midwives were God-fearing women, and they ignored the Pharaoh's instructions and let the male babies live. 
So Pharaoh summoned the midwives and asked why they let the male babies live. And the midwives responded, mm, these the Hebrew women are different from Egyptian women. They're more robust and they deliver before we can get there, before the midwife arrives. And God rewarded the midwives and the people increased in numbers and in power. And since the midwives were God-fearing, God gave them families of their own. The Pharaoh then commanded all those in Egypt, let every boy that is born to the Hebrews be thrown into the Nile but let every girl live. So that's an interesting story. It's a case where what is legal is neither right nor just. And these midwives very courageously resist government-sanctioned evil, and they break the law for the sake of the good and right, which is that they save baby Hebrew boys from a fate of lawful murder and capital punishment. They subvert an evil and punitive system. So Shifra and Pua are these beautiful models of midwives who are protecting the lives of mothers and babies in the birthing room, on the birthing stool, the text says, and beyond by ways both practically and politically subversive. And I am so glad that their story made it into the Bible because it's radical and it's feminine. And I think it's a powerful archetype through which we might see God and ourselves and our work in the world. So I hope you're game today to explore the midwife with me because I think she's powerful and I think she has something to offer us all, regardless of whether we identify as women and regardless of whether we have or will ever do any kind of physical birth giving in our lives. So this is opportunity for guys, gals, non-binary folks, whether you're a birthing person or not, we can learn a lot from the midwife archetype and allow the midwife to help us awaken to aspects of ourselves and our imago dei that perhaps we were asleep to. So if you're hearing me now and you're maybe finding yourself a little bit tempted to shut down and stop listening because maybe you're like, I'm never planning to give birth or I'm a dude and this doesn't apply to me or whatever the, whatever the thing is, I would encourage you to pause a moment and interrogate that response a little bit. It can be very challenging to face the divine feminine, especially since we've been so historically conditioned to overlook her. So I encourage you, stay open, stay curious. Now, <clears throat> Midwives are only mentioned a couple other times in the scriptures and mostly in passing. But we know because we know that human beings get born, right? That midwives were integral to ancient cultures. Of course, then with the advent of modern medicine, midwifery has been kind of more relegated to the sidelines of birth care. But I assure you, the midwives are still here and they are still doing their sacred work. People all over the world have birth practices and midwives are very ubiquitous. Birth and death are, of course, the two most primal rites of passage that we all have in common. So it's interesting that we so often overlook the people who help usher us into the world and then out of it. And perhaps we should take another look at the people who follow a calling of midwifery. And it just so happens <clears throat> that I am uniquely qualified to tell you a little bit about midwives, just a little something. I myself 
have given birth twice with the help of midwives, once in San Francisco and the second time here in Williamson County. And I can attest to the profoundly spiritual nature of their role. They are a help to a mother in some of the hardest, most emotional, most desperate feeling moments. Midwives come alongside birthing mothers in a very special way. A midwife doesn't ever claim that she, quote, delivers babies. I say she, but I am aware and very happy to report that there is a small but growing contingent of male midwives out there. Yes, that's true. But midwives know that birthing mothers do the hard work of delivering babies into the world. And they know that their roles are as assistants and protectors of the mothers and babies in their care. Their work is not the work of birthing. It's the work of helping the ones birthing and the ones being born. So they avoid unnecessary interference because they believe in the power of birthing mothers to do their business and they keep watch over birthing mothers to avoid danger and harm. So I want to give you a brief um, overview of what midwives do uh, from my own experiential perspective. Um, One thing that midwives do is they make helpful suggestions. And those suggestions are usually born out of their own experience and from their own finely honed intuition. They're often very practical. So maybe it's a suggestion like during prenatal care, well, let's increase your iron intake so that you have some more um, energy or during labor. Well, how about changing position? How about getting in water for a while? I remember one particular very visceral moment when I was in the pushing phase with my first baby and I was getting very tired and I've been pushing a while at that point. And my midwife, Angelica, who was German, took my face in her hands and she said so sweetly, let's have some honey water to give you energy. Yeah. And she was right. She knew intuitively that I needed a burst of sugar to give me energy to make the final leg of the birthing journey, which is another thing that midwives do. They feed and nourish. They provide actual sustenance for really hard work. Another thing that midwives do is offer comfort. It can be in the form of food or drink or massage, music, candles, aromatherapy, wiping the sweat from a mother's brow, a hug. A midwife has a toolkit full of comforts, even as she knows that she can't remove all discomfort and doesn't try. But also she offers comfort in the more in the form of emotional support. I think there were times when my midwives were like my birth therapists. They're concerned with the whole person, emotional, physical, spiritual, and offering comfort is a big part of that. Um, a midwife is a whole cheerleading squad. They encourage. They continually remind the birthing mother of her own capacity and her own power and resolve. And they say, yes, this is hard. This is hard, but you can do it. Most importantly, midwives protect. Midwives are very highly trained to know a dangerous situation when they see it. The most important part of what a midwife does is know when to go to the hospital and when to request intervention. They have all contingencies planned for. 
Their job is to be vigilant and regularly assess the health of mother and baby. They're checking heartbeat. They're checking progress. They're keeping tabs on everything. And they use both their medical and practical training as well as their intuition and inner wisdom to know if an intervention to prevent harm is needed. And in the event that medical intervention is necessary, the midwife stays with the family as an advocate. She stays as an advocate for the mother and baby there in that situation as well. I have met a lot of midwives and I have never met a midwife for whom safety is not absolutely the highest priority. Um, A beautiful thing about midwives is aftercare. They don't just leave you and never come back. When our second daughter was born, our midwives mostly left Jordan and I alone with baby after she was born and like all the necessary checks were done and they felt sure everyone was good. And do you know what they did? They went to the kitchen and they made breakfast tacos and they put the laundry on. They literally came in and fed me tacos after helping with my birth. Because great midwives know how exhausting the work is and how in need of sustenance that mama is after she's done that hard work. And then, okay, and then they come back the next day. And then they come back a few days later after that and they check on everybody and they make sure that baby's feeding well and they weigh the baby and they check on mama's healing and they keep a sharp eye out for complications and offer overall support to this new family. And I haven't even mentioned all the prenatal support and healthcare that midwives provide before birth, during labor, and beyond. A midwife is committed and present in helping out and offering support. Now, isn't this beautiful? Can you maybe see for yourself some divine attributes here in the midwife, both the actual midwife and the archetypal? I'm put in mind of when Jesus says in John 15, he says, when the comforter comes, who I will send to you, the spirit comes from God. Some translations uh, say the advocate, when the advocate comes or when the helper comes, the kind of help and comfort and advocacy that a midwife embodies sounds to me a bit similar to what the spirit is reputed to do. And some of you might have personal experiences of that the Spirit of God coming alongside you as advocate, helper, comforter. The midwife isn't the star of the show. She doesn't get up in her ego and thinks that she's performed some miracle. She knows that she is supporting caste and that her work is valuable and necessary. Midwives know that they can't do a mother's work or a baby's for them. They know they can't rush the process. They can't force things to happen. They can't control how a birth proceeds. They just have to roll with the punches and continuously assess what's needed. Her role is one of service, but also one of wisdom. And it has to be done in the patient, intuitive, nurturing, fierce way of the divine feminine. In Braiding Sweetgrass, which we've been reading in our book group this past uh, couple months, Robin Wall Kimmerer talks about leadership 
not being about power or control or hierarchy. Instead, true leadership is about service and wisdom. And service and wisdom are beautiful things we can learn from the archetype of the midwife, the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the protector of people who are doing some of the hardest, messiest, sweatiest, gruntiest work of their lives. And this is something that Matt and Aurelia and I think and talk about. Like we know that your spiritual work is some of the hardest work you'll do, especially if you're trying to get healed after trauma. And we know that we can't do it for you and we can't rush your process and we can't force you to do it any one way. So as pastors, I think a thing that we try to do is look around at our community, see what's going on, what's growing, what's being birthed, and we do our best to come alongside that work, your work. We can't birth into the world what you're here to bring forth, but we can support, observe, encourage, alert when we see danger, help you request intervention when things get too tricky to handle on your own. We can come alongside and offer practical suggestions and be vigilant in the event that you need medical help. And you all do this for each other too. I see that. So <clears throat> we have this amazing story of these two women midwives who are ordered to turn babies over to be killed. But instead, they keep to their original mission, the safety of mamas and babies. They are part of an ancient lineage of midwives, skills that are passed from person to person, trainee to master to trainee. And that lineage is still here today. And we can learn, I think, some powerful spiritual lessons from it. So I want to take a couple of minutes and just point out a few of those lessons that I notice. Although I have no doubt that you guys can fill the comment section up with other lessons that you see here that I may not mention. So first uh, spiritual lesson that I see is just the reality that there are times when you will be the birth giver. You will be laboring to bring something into the world that only you can bring, something unique that is your contribution to heaven on earth. You will be the star of that birthing show and you will need to put in some work and effort. And the thing you birth could be anything. It could be art. It could be a solution to a problem, relationships, organizations, whatever. The list could go on and on. And in the same way, there are times when you may be called to serve as a midwife to people who are doing their own birthing work. You'll be the supporting cast, the advocate, caregiver, comforter, nurturer, nourisher, vigilant, protector. And when that day comes, you can know that that work is valiant and necessary. That service and wisdom, service and wisdom. Friends, prepare yourself for that day. Cultivate the spiritual practices that you need to deepen your wisdom and self-knowledge and to transcend and train your ego. Do your ego work now so when you're needed, you're ready. Because the 
Egos don't really like supporting cast work. They just don't. They're egos. But every single one of us knows that we need and we, we're going to need people around us who can help midwife the commonwealth of heaven into the world. And we want to be part of that work. <clears throat> All right. Another spiritual lesson that I see. For thousands of years, society has been trying to erase midwives and delegitimize them. Burn them as witches, even. You can be sure that Shifra and Pua took their lives into their hands when they went against the Pharaoh's orders. And the lesson I take from that is we have to know our own value and the value of our work. There will always be attempts by power structures to delegitimize spiritual work and spiritual power particularly the work and power of the world's helpers. But we stay focused. We keep to the original mission, which is to help usher the commonwealth of heaven into being on earth, to midwife God's good community as it is born into this plane of existence. And we will have to stay really clear about who we are and what we're working toward and we'll have to stay really close to the OG midwife herself, which is the Spirit of God, so that we don't get distracted by the voices that seek to delegitimize us. And that's part of what we do here in community is we help each other stay focused. Yeah? Okay. Another lesson. Here it is. Birth is messy. So is death. If you've ever been, been in a birth or death room, you know. And the world really prefers not to acknowledge the realities of birth and death. We want to hide all the messiness away, but we have to gather our courage. We have to be willing to make a mess to give birth to something great. We have to be willing to lend our energy to cleaning up the messes and the chaos that's already here harming mama God's babies. If we want to be healed, whole human beings, we have to become willing to go within and deal with our messy inner conflicts and our traumas and wounds and the patterns that keep us stuck and unfree. And we may even have to request the assistance of our midwifey friends while we birth a new version of ourselves. And being squeamish about a mess is not going to serve us in our work. Finally, whatever midwifing work you do, it might come with a side of, sub of subversion. As Shifra and Pua were faced with a need to subvert an unjust and harmful power structure, so you may be as well. We can throw a rock around here and hit an unjust power structure, a harmful system, or a campaign of inequity. And our midwifery and coming alongside people who are birthing the new and the good into the world is subversive in and of itself. And it may also prevent us or present us with opportunities to make choices that go against evil. So again, we gather up the courage of the midwife 
to do the subversive work that's necessary. That's just a handful of lessons that I personally get from looking at the divine and myself through the archetypal lens of the midwife. No doubt you all see others. My hope is that you can see her in yourself. My hope is that we can become a community whose midwifing game is strong, comforter, protector, advocate, nourisher, encourager. And we do this valiant work of coming alongside one another as we're in our various seasons of life. My hope is that we are people who courageously dig in when there's a good mess to be made or cleaned up. And my hope is that we cultivate that wisdom, that intuition and listening so that we can be people who are shining examples of the service and wisdom, the kind that we learn from the midwife.